This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petriello, the usual pilot of this ship, is on vacation. So does I, Matt Myers, who is normally the Paul Schaefer to his David Letterman, who will be taking the wheel this week. And this week I'm joined by co-host Will Leach. Will, I guess this makes you the Larry Bud Melman of this podcast? Uh, I, I would go with either Ed McMahon or, or Jeffrey Tambor's character from the Larry Sanders show. I just sit in the corner <laughs> and get grouchy uh, while you get all the success. I'm honored to be on. Uh, I'm happy to lower the level of discourse on this show uh, uh, from a pretty high level. I, I've said this before, but every time I'm on a podcast that I listen to regularly, like I do this one, I feel like I've entered the television and I'm hanging out with the Flintstones. So it's very cool for me. They're like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm on the Ballpark to Bitches podcast. And, and now, I, uh, which guarantees, of course, will be the one that I don't listen to. Um, well, Will, it is great to have you. And with Will here, we're going to change up the format uh, a little bit than our than our usual uh, run of show. So what we're going to do today is last week, uh, Will wrote a piece that is a piece he writes usually every year around this time where he does the playoff urgency rankings. He took 13, I guess he took 16 teams in his piece, but since then the playoff odds have changed a bit. So we're going to go through 13 teams who have a reasonable chance of making a playoffs and we'll rank them by their quote unquote playoff urgency. Uh, we also will not include the teams that are basically assured of making the playoffs. So that's basically any team with a playoff odds above 95%. So that's why you won't hear us talking about uh, the White Sox and uh, the Brewers and the Dodgers and the Giants, right? Right. Well, and well, yes. how do you do the, how do you do these, right? Like how do you, like when you say playoff urgency, what's, what is your criteria here? Yeah, the idea is basically is a, a combination of two things. One, how much they clearly are showing that they want to do it, how invested they are in the process. Originally, we ended up dropping them because they're 0.0 now, but Cleveland was originally bottom at the bottom of this list because they traded one of the players to the team that they were ostensibly chasing. That does not sound very urgent <laughs> to me. So uh, that dropped them off the earth list. But also a factor, too, is like in the history of the franchise or where the franchise is and kind of like com- their competitive arc, how important it is for them to make the playoffs. If a team has particularly invested a lot in this season, if they were to miss this season, how much that would be damaging to them. So probably a combination of those two things. Okay, got it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through the teams, the 13 teams, based on how uh, we'll rank them, starting with the team with the highest level of urgency, and that is the San Diego Padres. Yeah, clearly. Well, what do team, we make of the San Diego Padres yeah, right now? Clearly, clearly, a team playing with uh, as if they were with a lot of urgency. A pretty disastrous road trip to them, for them to say the very least. Uh, if if Jake Arrieta is the uh, Jake Arrieta at Coors is the answer to the question that you were asking, you were asking the wrong question. Uh, certainly, they're in a very tough spot right now, and you know you can. And for me, the reason they're at the top of this list. I mean, you know, I th- I was never quite sure they were going to be competing with the Dodgers. I think that's what everyone kind of hoped was going to happen would be the Dodgers and Padres. But even with that, the idea of uh, how invested they were into the season and you know, getting Darvish and getting Snell and really kind of wrapping up into what they're trying to do this year, 
it's really ever since the Scherzer trade did not when we thought it was going through and then it didn't go through, it's all kind of fallen off a cliff for them. And there's, it's hard to find a lot of teams. It's not like everyone's a free agent at the end of this year and and this is the end of it for the Padres. But it's hard to find a team that's more purely invested in for, to their credit, by the way, uh, to trying to win now. If they were to fall short of the playoffs, uh, it's uh, it's pretty disastrous. I'm torn on this one because the Reds were one of my preseason picks to click and uh, I'm kind of invested in the Reds making the playoffs and making me look smart. And I also think it's just a, it's a fun team. I love Joey Votto. There's, there's a lot to be excited about that team. I think on the flip side, I think what the Padres have done the last couple of years is, is, is good for the game. A team that's like, Hey, we're, we're trying to win. We're going to make big, bold moves. We really want to shake things up, make headlines, trying to track star players, build a really exciting roster. So I kind of worry that if they fall flat and they don't make the playoffs, it sends a message to other teams like, well, why, why even bother trying to make a splash when yeah. this is what happens? <laughs> I always remember this whenever – toward the end of the time of Detroit's run when they were trying one last time to get one more title. And I knew it wasn't a good idea, but I was glad they were doing it because you want a team to like go for it when they can. The Padres, to me, like that's what's so fun about them. They had all this young talent, but they floored it now. Listen, I, I don't think they're going to like start over if they don't make the playoffs this year. But certainly, you know, you like it when teams are bold. The Padres have been bold. Uh, they were totally wrong, and to think they could beat with the, with the with the with the Dodgers. But again, the Giants have messed up so many things for any teams that were on the margins in the NF, in the NL because uh, now there, there's no there's no room for them to work. And the Padres are uh, if they don't make it, it, it's hard to imagine how it's not really just an un, kind of a catastrophe for what they're doing there. Yeah, so we talked about this recently on the podcast where. From here on out, according to Fangraphs, the Padres have the toughest remaining schedule in baseball, and the Reds, the team, the closest team chasing them, has the easiest. And the 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 big issue there is right is that the Padres just went through a stretch of 13 games where they had seven against Arizona, three against Miami, and three against Colorado. And it was like, okay, this is a chance for them to kind of pad their record a little bit before it gets really hard. And they went five and eight in that stretch, um, which was kind of a disaster. <laughs> That's what um, I mean. This is the time they have to do it, right? This is yeah, when they have to do it right now. Including getting, was it just, they, yeah, they got they got swept in Colorado. And I want to point this out. I want to go on a, a brief Rockies aside because I don't think this is getting enough t- attention before mm-hmm. we move on to the next team. The Rockies are 41 and 21 at home and 14 and 45 on the road. <laughs> They're basically the 86 Mets at home and the 62 Mets on the road. I cannot get over this. The Rockies are always a winning team at home and a losing team on the road, but this is extreme even by our standards. Our research department looked this up. The difference in their winning percentage at home and at road would be the biggest ever by far in a full season, in a 162-game season. This is like one of my favorite storylines of the year. It's so weird. It's so wild. It's so Rockies. Anyway, the Padres have a tough road, and the team that's chasing them will get to them in a minute. Right now, let's talk about the Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah, the Phillies have uh, after uh, after the Mariners, of course, uh, and you know, assuming we count teams that made the playoffs last year. So the Marlins used to have the second longest playoff drought, but they did. Not only did they make the playoffs, they made the NLDS. Something everyone constantly forgets <laughs> that the Marlins were in the NLDS last year. Uh, but the Phillies have the second longest playoff drought in all of base- in all baseball behind the Mariners, and the last time they played in a playoff game was when Ryan Howard was limping up the line in the, the end of the 2011 season. I don't remember how the rest of that playoffs went, but I know that that's how it ended uh, for the Phillies. And so I feel like that is – that. And since that's happened, you know, they have – 
started over, right? They they kind of rebuilt the farm system and tried to tried to tried to done the thing that we've seen teams like the Cubs and the Astros and obviously a lot of teams in baseball kind of pour down to the studs and start over. They probably did that a year or two late, but they've they've done that and it hasn't paid off. I mean, they they ended up having to put their team together the by spending, which is and, and so the the notion that the Phillies would get to this point, everything is really setting up for them, right? Like Acuna gets hurt. The Grom gets hurt. The Nationals have have uh, have have stopped, and the Marlins are, are, are not really competing right now. If there's a year the Phillies are going to end it, it's got to be right now. They've got an MVP candidate. They've got the Cy Young favorite. If they can't win the division now, with all of these things setting for them, when are they going to win the division? Yeah, you make a good point because I mean, this team, their their stars are playing like stars. You really can't ask for much more than what you're getting from Bryce Harper and Zach Wheeler and JT Realmuto. But it's hard to believe in a team with a bullpen that ranks 29th in war, according to Fangraphs. Literally a replacement level bullpen. Um, so that's why there's a lot of reason to be skeptical of this team and why the, the Braves have been able to capitalize um, on that right now and have d- d- jumped into first place in the NL East. Let's move on to the Yankees, the next team in your in your rankings. I guess the Yankees always have a high sense of playoff urgency. You know, the whole, you know, count the rings thing. Yeah, but, you know, it's weird to think back then now, but you know, I think it, Mike Petriello and I did our World Series uh, uh, like draft the teams with the World Series at the end of the year, and the Yankees were right there. Like I think there's been a couple of years now where it feels like the thing the Yankees were building toward is supposed to be now. Now this year has been unusually dramatic, even for the Yankees. It really just feels like an absolutely exhausting team to root for. And I think Yankees fans, generally speaking, um, uh, kind of freak out about everything anymore, which is what happens when you have to go through a decade without a World Series. Just tragic for any organization to ever have to wait that long without going to a World Series. But like this year in particular, there's just the wild swings and 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 you know and, and all the COVID outbreaks and all the issues this team's had. It's and they're still right there. And now there's and and to me that's what's fascinating about the Yankees is it feels like no matter what happens this year, if they don't make the playoffs, it's going to feel like a like a mass Massive, massive thing because this season has been such a roller coaster. I never really doubted them coming back into it. I'm pretty sure I said this on the podcast a few months ago. Someone will have to fact check me. I love what they did at the deadline. I do think adding a couple of left-handed hitters really matters. It changes the way teams approach you in late innings. You got like with especially with the three batter minimum rule. Now you can't just rely on, oh, you just put our righties in and and not worry about it. It's like, oh no, Gallo's gonna come up and Rizzo's gonna come up. I think it really changes the way the opposition has to think about it. And I also have to say, as someone who grew up in New York City and went to school, high school in the Bronx, I've never been a Yankees fan, but there's something extremely cool about a kid from the Bronx who went to Fordham Prep, Andrew Velasquez, coming up, like kind of a minor league journeyman coming up and having big hits in a series sweep against the Red Sox. That's just like an awesome storyline. It's something that like I can't not root for. I don't know if this, this, I mean, he's 27. He's probably not going to be much more than, than kind of a 4A kind of guy. But right now in this moment, uh, this is very cool. It's one of my favorite stories in baseball right now. Let's keep in the American League East and talk about the Blue Jays because they're next on your list. And it seemed like there was a surge happening with them. <laughs> and that kind of has fallen off. And it seems like they're a little bit in trouble right now. I, I get, I'm looking at Fangraphs right now. Fangraphs has them with an 18% odds of making the playoffs for context. That's basically 
the same as somewhere between like it's somewhere between the Mets and the Phillies right now to give you a little bit of context of where of where they stack up and that's not great and it felt like I guess it felt better before the Yankees started surging right well the, the Blue Jays is the team we keep waiting to make that run like again we talked about the Yankees coming into the preseason the whole thing with the Blue Jays was like wow you know after they brought in Springer have they caught the Yankees now I remember that that question and many people be like oh come on the Blue Jays haven't caught the Yankees and now the Blue Jays are in fourth <laughs> and they're in fourth and obviously uh you know I I know that a lot of uh uh, projection systems were higher on the Red Sox, but I think generally speaking, heading into the season, people didn't think the Red Sox. The Red Sox kind of messed up uh, this this go to season for the Blue Jays in a similar way that the Giants have kind of messed it up for the Padres. But like that's the problem, right? Is that like when you're in this division, what they're seven games over five hundred, that's not going to get it done. I think with all they kind of built up, you, I mean, this is this is you, you've got the year from Vlad that you uh, that you dreamed of getting. Marcus Simeon is having a fantastic year, and he's probably now going to be gone after the season. He's going to be able to get he's bet on himself successfully after this year. A lot of things, obviously, pitching has been an issue. You knew pitching coming in was going to be an issue. Those that were like, "Why is Stephen Matz really going to solve their starting problems?" kind of look like look smart now because their rotation uh, it just hasn't been enough and. I feel like they're a, like that's the thing. They obviously have a, young, a lot of young players. They've got a lot of they, but they have invested. Like this is what they were kind of building up to to finish fourth in that. Uh, and obviously they've been all over the place. They've played three different fields this year, three different teams this year. But uh, I think ask certainly fourth place in a year where clearly they were going for it is a is a is a pretty bad place to be. The, the Springer signing has to be – it's like one of the more frustrating things because when he's played, he's been great, but he can't get on the field. Right, so yeah. it just it, – it, it, like, it feels so close yet yet so far off, far away. One fun fact I learned about the Blue Jays from um, uh, MLB researcher Matt Kelly. The Blue Jays have a chance to be the first team since the 1936 Yankees to have five players with 100 RBIs in a season. I don't really like RBIs as a evaluative tool, but they are a good storytelling tool, and that is kind of wild. Can you do you know who those five players are? Okay, let's see. Um, okay, so Vlad, yes, Simeon, yeah, Bichette, yes, uh, Biggio, no, no. Okay, um, I give. Oh, it's Tasker yeah, Hannes and, and Randall Gritchick, who's having like yeah. a like a peak a peak Joe Carter season where he's got like a two ninety OBP, but he's got you know more than seventy RBIs and could yeah. get hundred. Now, it's, to be fair, it's an outside shot. It would require you know some big, a lot of run scoring in the next the next six weeks, but it is within the realm of possibilities, and I think that's a kind of cool, quirky. Uh, piece of history. Uh, now let's go into the the New York Mets, mm-hmm. who uh, obviously a team close to my heart and a team that is always an interesting uh, source of comfort, never a dull moment with with, with that team. What's, as an outsider, what is your take on the Mets? Yeah, you know, for, for the record, they are fifth here. They're, if I were to write these today, I think that uh, that you that I might go a little bit lower. Obviously, the the urgency here, in a lot of ways, is because to, you know for a long time Degrom was having this historic season, and since he's went out, I always say you always have to be reminded that they actually do only pitch once every five days. Like the Cardinals had this with Jack Flaherty, they completely fell apart when Flaherty got hurt. Even though obviously there's an innings buildup that happens, but there's also just like an emotional thing when someone like Degrom gets hurt. It just makes you feel like things are going wrong, and of course. 
I, I don't know if you if you follow this or not. I know that you you know you're a national guy. And the Mets, it's hard to keep track of the Mets sometimes. But uh, uh, apparently, there's been some drama uh, resolving social media and the owner <laughs> of late. Uh, it, it, to me, you know, it's I actually feel like you know what, why the, the, this was a joke during the during the last couple of years of. Uh, of the political discussion, but like, I feel like today he became the owner of the Mets. Like it feels <laughs> like today's the day that happened. Uh, it does kind of feel like that's the, uh, uh, the, the, the Mets or either, this is the way it was always going to go, right? It was either going to be like, they would cobble together this kind of fun season, the ground would come and save them and, and Syndergaard would come and it would all come together the way we all imagined doing it, or it was going to come careening violently off the tracks. And uh, it certainly feels like it's going that way now. You know, and I think it's frustrating because you could see how this was going to work. Like for a long time, even when I had those issues, maybe that moment in like May or maybe June where people were like, "Oh, you know, the, the Mets." Like the, the, even they were they were in first place and people were giving up on them. They were like, "Oh, the Cubs heard this is going to all fall apart again." And then they got hot and they got to like, kind of look like, "Okay, this is their year." The, I think it. Whatever team doesn't win this division has just got to be pulling pulling their their hair out because it's it's right there for them this year heck i'd be upset if i were the marlins they were the team that had the <laughs> best winning uh, the, the best running differential for half the season they missed an opportunity this year someone uh i but for me it, i think it has to go down a little bit without Degrom, i would put them lower on this list because at a certain level without Degrom, how far were you getting yeah, the, I mean, the issue with the Mets is that their their offense is just not very good, right? And in the, the beginning part of the season, they were winning games. They were winning a lot of close games, and it never felt real. Um, in fact, I would say that the Mets are actually a pretty good – this year's Mets team is a pretty good example of why you look, look at run differential because there was pretty good indication that they weren't as good as their record. And then, man, it, <laughs> the uh, the regression to the mean, as they say, came pretty quickly. But like in the early in the season, especially with the ground, but even, you know, Marcus Stroman was very good. Taiwan Walker was very good. Stroman has remained very good. Their run prevention was fantastic. And I think there was a belief, at least my belief, was like, okay, well, the pitching is probably not going to be this good all year. But at some point, some of these guys are going to start hitting, right? Like, you know, Conford will turn it around and Dom Smith will turn it around and Jeff McNeil will turn it around. And so that will kind of balance out the fact that the pitchers are not going to pitch to a two, two ERA all season or whatever, whatever some of those, those guys had in the first half. And the bats haven't really come around. And I think the reason for this is I think a lot of the preseason projections for the Mets were pretty misleading and based on some kind of weird information. I think, you know, I think a lot of people, myself included, a lot of prognosticators, I mean, the projection systems were pretty high in the Mets, kind of missed on a couple of things. And I think I'll, I'll explain. One of which is the 2019 season, which was a bit of an outlier. The, you know, there was just a lot of home runs, the ball, something with the ball, you know, Pete Alonso hit 50 plus home runs. Jeff McNeil hit 25 home runs. <laughs> it's pretty clear that that was an outlier, right? I think Alonso is a good hitter. He's not a superstar hitter. Right. And so you have now Jeff McNeil who can't hit, who has no power anymore. And I think it's probably the real Jeff McNeil is kind of what we're seeing this year and last year, which is like a fine contact hitter, but someone who doesn't really drive the ball. So going into this year, you thought like, oh, this guy's like an above average hitter. Maybe, you know, you know, his baseline is 105, 110 OPS plus, but maybe he could get you a 125 when actually the baseline is probably like a 95 OPS plus. And the same thing with like Dom Smith and even Michael Conforto. Well, Conforto, I would say, is definitely a disappointment. Um, no question. He had like a crazy batting average on balls in play last year. There was no chance he was going to repeat what he did in 2020. And it was a fluke. Same with Dom Smith. So I think Dom Smith is kind of the player that I think people feared he might be, which is just like a good hitter, but not like he sort of has the, you know, 
he actually he's a first baseman by trade. He sort of has like players like him were kind of a dime a dozen in the the eighties and nineties. Like first baseman, good glove who hit for an average but didn't really have any power. And that player doesn't really exist in the the, the Mark Grace Sean Casey archetype doesn't really exist in in the game anymore. And I feel like he's kind of that archetype and it's just kind of a dinosaur. And so I think a lot of these Mets hitters who people thought were really good, maybe just aren't. And they kind of need to re- reevaluate the whole lineup for 2022. It's just hard to understand how professional hitters can be this unproductive, Matt. The best teams have a more disciplined approach. The slugging and OPS numbers don't lie. We're going to take a quick break and we are going to come back with teams uh, 6 to 10 on Will's list. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, where it is I, Matt Myers, with Will Leach this week. Going through Will's uh, playoff urgency rankings. We've already gone through the top of his list, and now we're going to go through the next, uh, I guess, eight teams or so, starting with the Cincinnati Reds. Will, what do you make of the Cincinnati Reds? Yeah, they they feel – it's funny – Last year was supposed to be their year, right? They had they had the Cy Young winner, like they they had clearly built up to it last year. And then, of course, I don't remember what happened last year, but it was uh, there was some upheaval of some sort, some shape or form. And so, that what should have been their year, they were built up for, just didn't really fall for them. And then they did, I think they, they, they would score in the uh, in the wild card series. It does feel like though that now there is something pretty almost likable about this team. I wasn't sure, like, like Kessios has like had this incredible year and he's clearly going to opt out of his contract, which puts a lot of urgency uh, on this year. But to me, the thing that makes you want to believe in the Reds is Votto, right? Like what he's doing, what he's doing right now, what this run that he's been on. And also just the clear ascendance. Remember that stretch for, for like five or six years where like, wow, why is no one paying attention to Joey Votto? Even the Reds announcers don't seem to like Joey Votto. And he's like one of the best hitters in baseball. Now the Joey Votto Appreciation Society of the last two months has really been pretty fantastic. And he's led them to a spot to where – they're clearly the in the best position to take advantage of the Padres to uh, continue to skid. And Votto leading that is, I think, pretty exciting. Will, if you had a Hall of Fame vote, would you vote for Joey Votto, A? And B, do you think he will make the Hall of Fame? Uh, yeah, I do not have a uh, Hall of Fame vote. I would be a very bad Hall of Fame voter. Uh, but I, uh, I would vote for Votto. And I think he's going to get in, particularly because – I think, you know, we say this a lot of times with like the, I wouldn't say younger voters anymore, but less old voters are starting to get more votes as uh, as the years go along. And they're more not only more, more analytically inclined, but also better at kind of putting these things in perspective and recognizing someone like Vado, who did something like his OBP numbers for years were just absolutely absurd. And and. So it, to have this kind of late surge, I, I don't think it matters if the Reds make the playoffs this year. They're like, okay, now we're going to vote for Votto. No one will remember that if they if they lose in the wild card game or something. Just like they don't like he's never won a playoff series, so I don't think that anyone holds that against Joey Votto. But I do think that, he, that when you combine the numbers to just the 
general likability quotient. I think it's the Canadianness. That's my personal theory. But uh, the, just the general likability of Votto. There's just a lot of uh, – if you look back at his numbers and kind of put in perspective of his era, not only was he really great for his era, he was great at the thing that became particularly uh, widespread and understood during his era. And I think he'll represent that a little bit. I think that's well said. I think I agree with all of that. I think that eventually he will make it for reasons you mentioned. Um, as noted, the Reds have the easiest remaining schedule of every team in baseball, not just player uh, uh, playoff contenders. Although they just you know lost two straight to the Cubs, and that's just you can't you just can't do that if you're trying to fight for that final wild card spot. They host the Marlins this weekend for four games. You know you don't want to say oh they need to win at least three or four, but it kind of feels like they should win at least three or four of that um, because you got to make up I mean, to. To that's where you make up ground is against these these teams. And they, well, granted, they'll have a lot of chances to make up ground with they, they then they go to Miami next week and then they have like two more at least two more series with the Pirates. But anyway, um, you get the idea. Next on the list, uh, the Red Sox. Um, the Red Sox were kind of a darling team early in the season, outperforming expectations. They've come back to come back to earth a bit. The Yankees have now passed them. What what what's what's the story with them? Yeah, the Red Sox are weird because also, and you, you're you're on the East Coast. I'm I'm in the South, so I can't. I I, I lived in New York for 13 years, and I, it's strange. I feel like every single moment of those 13 years I ever talked to a Red Sox fan, they were always anguishing about something, even though they won three World Series in that time. <laughs> like there was, there's always a, there's a, it doesn't feel. It's funny. I don't know if it was the expectations going into the season. Uh, the, again, the projection systems were high on them, but I don't think the rest of uh, uh, baseball. I don't know if Red Sox fans felt like particularly like ex- not excited, but like optimistic about the season. But it also it's weird because you know the Red Sox are you know famously a team that either finishes first or finishes last has these wild swings. It feels like this is. The question is, can Sale come in and be not only be Sale, but like kind of ascend them in, into the next spot? Because we've been talking about this all, all year, even from the beginning. You know, remember that remember that first week in, in 2020 where you looked at the Red Sox and thought, oh, they're finishing last. <laughs> like their pitching was so bad, and so it's so I think that kind of like mindset got kind of stuck with the people about the Red Sox a little bit. This is a good team and a better and a better team and also kind of an exciting team. Like I, I love watching Bogarts. I love watching Devers to see JD Martinez back hitting like this is exciting. I don't know. It feels like this is if you're like one of those people that really hated the Red Sox over the last few years. I find this Red Sox team a little bit more likable because I consider them underdogs, even though they're kind of not underdogs. If that makes sense. It does. It it, it does. Um, it definitely feels like because it's now like they're a little distance from. The, some, the, the title teams, and it just feels like a different, different vibe uh, around the team. You know, for for me with the Red Sox, the there's this whole thing that teams love to spin when 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 injured players come back in the middle of the season, and they love to say like, oh, you know, getting an injured star back is like a deadline. It's just like a getting a deadline acquisition, and I, I think that trope is kind of tired and a little bit corny. But getting Chris Sale back right now kind of feels like a big deal for them, uh, especially since he looked so good in his first outing. Granted, it was against the Orioles, who um, have uh, their own issues right now. So I'd like to see him do it against some better lineups before I kind of fully buy into Chris Sale is back. But that is um, could be huge for them, especially if they end up in that one-game wild card, whether, it's he's, whether he's lined up to start that game or lined up to even just pitch uh, three innings in relief because he's, uh, he's, he's still Chris Sale. Um, all right, now let's move on to the Astros, the next team on your list. You know, I look at the Astros and they keep like, 
they deserved in my mind they deserved the scorn they've gotten. You know, they 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 cheated in an embarrassing way. They got caught. They deserve the scorn. They deserve they deserve all that. But trash cans are not. They have a team strikeout rate below twenty percent. No one else is below twenty one percent. I know no one wants to give them credit for anything, but they've been doing this for years. Trash can banging or not, they have fantastic hitters. They've got a really good team, and I certainly wouldn't want to face them in a playoff series. It's. It feels like we should be able to separate. Like, okay, boo Astros. We don't like that you cheated. We're rooting against you. And also the fact that like they're obviously really good, and they're obviously not hitting trash cans anymore. I I, I have a whole theory about this. Like this big high tech scheme that involved people hitting a trash can with a bat. But more to the point, like the idea that this that somehow that like this was like wow they were these guys were just like. Like small people, they'd never even heard of baseball before, and all of a sudden they learned this cool scheme where they could find out a pitch was coming and suddenly got good, and now they've lost all their powers because they can't do that anymore. Is absurd. Like I understand it's emotional. It's fun to make fun of people who have gotten caught doing something they shouldn't. I get it. It's fun. You do you. It's going to be a when they make the playoffs, and they're going to make the playoffs. It's going to be a, everyone's going to all have a great time cheering against them. I enjoyed that Dodger series. It was a good time. Everybody's having their fun. But like you, intellectually, you can, if you can't separate that from the fact that this team is obviously really good and really seems kind of like very eager to show that in the playoffs this year, uh, then then you're letting your emotion just uh, uh, take over uh, logic in that regard. And it's funny to me, the, 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 the fluke was last year, you know, the year they made the ALCS, like that was the fluke. Last year was the fluke. And so, yeah, they're, they're good. They're always good. And they're really good this year too. Fangraphs currently has them at 94% uh, odds of making the playoffs. So they're, they almost didn't make this, make this conversation. They have a much easier remaining schedule than the A's, the team that is chasing them. So um, I think that that's, uh, yeah, they're, they're going to win that division and they are going to be a threat to go deep into the postseason. Uh, speaking of teams that go deep into the postseason, let's talk about the Rays, last year's American League pennant winners. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to keep praising them for how they continue to just churn out successful seasons and deep rosters and dynamic rosters. But man, they're doing it again. They have a, they're up five on the Yankees. Um, they actually they don't play the Yankees again until the last weekend of the season. So I guess it's possible that that could end up being a really fun series if the the AL East is still a play. But it definitely feels to me like you know right now like Fangraphs has them at fifty eight percent to win the division. So they're actually still giving the Yankees and Red Sox a legitimate chance of of winning the division, which I think is pretty interesting. But it still feels to me like it's uh, you know the Rays' division to lose, right? Yeah. And- it would be kind of wild if the Rays went to two consecutive World Series. Like that feels like, and I guarantee you, if that happens, they will still not be picked to win the AL East by most people in the next year. That's just kind of the Rays thing. But yeah, it really has been fun watching. You know, they're getting contributions pretty much uh, up and down, and it's weird because every once in a while, once in a while, you'll look and be like, "Wait, is Michael Walker starting? <laughs> what's Michael Walker doing starting for this team?" But they always seem to find like that's what's so kind of wild about the Rays is they find all these little ways to just like listen. Rose Arena has not been a superstar but he's been good he's been a ray <laughs> like i think that's kind of the thing right is now like rosarina didn't make sense in the world series but it makes sense now that he's just like yep he's just another one of those consistently good guys that they are put in a position to be better at every single time and they just keep doing it over and over they do it with that minimum of drama i always wonder about this with the if, with the rays because we don't i mean they're, they're on a daily basis they don't get the attention from 
national media, in many ways even local media, that the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Dodgers or a lot of these other teams do. Are, are there massive I'm, – listen, I'm asking Rays fans. Like do you look at the Yankees and see all this drama and be like, you know, we have a bunch of drama too. It's just that no one's ever talking about ours at all. Or is it just that the kind of nice, calm, placid thing? Because I always wonder about that. We, we always talk about like, well, the Rays really seem to do it under the radar. But like we're the ones that make the radar. <laughs> like we could totally be looking at the Rays all the time and doing this. And so, I mean, they play just as many games and they are televised just as often uh, as the Yankees are. And so it's weird that we always say this about the Rays, that they're doing it under the radar. And by under the radar, we mean playing in the World Series and then potentially being the favorite to do so the next year. You mentioned it, Rosarena. He's quietly having a really good year. It's yeah. like, it's sort of, after after the, the um, and I'll admit, I didn't even really notice it. But like after the, the playoffs he had last year, I feel like he was going to disappoint people no matter what because he looked like the best hitter in baseball for, for about three weeks there against the best competition in baseball. But right now his season line is 280, 357, 467, which is good for a 131 weight, weighted runs created plus for 100 is league average. He's got 16 homers, 11 stolen bases. He's probably going to win AL Rookie of the Year because he's still eligible. Um, it's pretty funny that after all that, like, oh, yeah, he's actually turned to be pretty good and he could win this win this award. But it just feels – I don't want to say disappointment, but it just feels like, oh, yeah, that guy. Um, anyway, let's move on to the, to the team that I guess the Rays played in the last time there was a wild, an AL wildcard game, and that is the Oakland A's. And – Will you you put here on our our, our, our show document? <laughs> I have a hard time. Always have a hard time coming up with things to say about the A's, and I kind of agree. It's like I, it's it's almost hard to have like a I don't want to say hot take on them. I don't even just have a strong take on them. Yeah, and it's and the best thing we'll have to see that was that that, that feels like a, like obviously a very scary moment, but also I mean he's he not only has he been really good for them, he's been constant. Like I think he like. Uh, he's, he's been really good, but he's also like he pitches all the time. He's like one, been one of their real consistent starters for a team that doesn't always have that. So yeah, it's the, the you know the the A's are always in this in this spot too, where you know it doesn't feel like they're even like rivals with the Astros. There's that stretch where the Astros and A's seem to have like a little rivalry, and now just everybody has a rival with the Astros. It does kind of feel. I wonder if. Uh, like you look at a guy like like Chapman. I thought a couple of years ago, like Chapman, when he finished third in the MVP, and it felt like he was like this emerging star. And now he's kind of settled in as to like, yeah, a, a very solid player. But they still, even with Olsen, have never had a true like bust out guy. They just have they have a bunch of really good guys named Matt. And, and and that's a great name. I know many nice people with the name Matt, but at a certain level, there is a certain uh, consistency and an anonymity there that uh, can be hard to get too high or too low. Uh, yeah, I think that's 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 probably right. Matt Olson is going to get MVP votes this year. He's been really mm-hmm. good. I, I'm surprised. I was with you. I, I think Matt Chapman was my AL MVP pick, MVP pick last year. That did not really pan out, but um, Matt Olson has. has turned into the player he kind of looked like he would become when he debuted and was I think he debuted right around when Aaron Judge was and they were both hitting home runs at a crazy rate um so uh it's or it should not when Aaron Judge debuted but that Aaron Judge rookie rookie season the thing with the A's is they're in a little bit of a rut right now they've lost four straight the schedule is not forgiving they host the Giants this weekend then two versus Seattle and four versus the Yankees there's a real chance they could miss the playoffs which would be kind of a bummer because there's I mean they've Similar to the Rays, they've been sort of impressive in the way they've consistently been able to build a winning team, often with with um, anonymous players. It's hard to it's hard to believe Marcus Simeon would leave, go on to have the season he's having with the Blue Jays, and that the 
A's wouldn't really wouldn't really skip a beat. We're going to take another quick break and come back with the final three teams on Will's Brandon's. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. This is Matt Myers with Will Leach. We are going through Will's playoff urgency rankings. We've gone through 10 teams already. Now let's go to the final three. Um, and we're going to go to the Atlanta Braves right now. If you went to sleep like two weeks ago, you'd wake up and you'd be like, wait, what's going on? The Braves have a four-game lead in the National League East. What is going on? Yeah, and you know, I, have, I really kind of feel when the Braves made their moves at the deadline, if I'm like, oh, that's interesting. They're not giving up. I guess good for them, right? But like all of a sudden, remember what their outfield looked like before they made the the, the Peterson Duvall uh, Solera. Uh, it was like it was like it was like uh, Heredia and uh, who else? Like the NCR was occasionally around there, and Adrianza, like it was like Almonte. Like it was just not a good situation out there in the outfield. The fact that they did, did those trades, however, it does feel like a like listen, a lot of teams would with as much struggles that they had and with Soroka being out and with uh, obviously Ozuna already being out when Acuna went down a lot of teams would have been like I, I it would have been like okay it's not it's just they race felt star-crossed all year before Acuna's injury so when that happened you're like okay I get it it's not gonna happen but you know you know who's been really kind of terrific lately Freddie Freeman has been really awesome really. and I think that that, is, that that should not be kind of like lost a little bit obviously with the cycle and everything but like it's a good reminder that Freeman is actually for all the guys they lost he is still the defending MVP and what they've kind of been able to kind of like cobble together listen they've they've benefited a lot from everyone else in the division kind of falling apart but you know their pitching has been that was a big worry last year the pitching has been Fine. The pitching has been fine, and that's been enough in this division. No, it's. I mean, I love what they did at the deadline. They basically sort of figured out attack. They had some huge weaknesses, and they realized, you know, it's not that hard to to prove on huge weaknesses, and they did it. And in doing so, they really just gave themselves a lot more depth. Um, Adam Duvall fit their roster nicely. Uh, Jack Peterson fit their roster nicely. Rich Rodriguez, who's been awesome for them out of the bullpen. Uh, Rich Rodriguez has been awesome for them out of the bullpen. Um, was a great was a great acquisition. And your point about, I mean, Freeman, he, like, I mean, if he's now, like, he's now moving into the MVP conversation yeah, again. Yes, and he the, is. The, the, the narrative is going to be behind him if they win the division, especially if, you know, if the Padres fade or Tatis misses any more time, he's back and looks like himself. So maybe that'll, maybe he's just going to run away with it. But there's a Freddie Freeman case that's going to be made. He's moving himself into the conversations. And I'm already dreading the, like, Braves, Ewing theory, like, oh, they're better off without the showboating of Acuna takes that are surely coming from somewhere. And I'm like already dreading them. I wouldn't be surprised if they're, if they're already out there. That helped. It helped a little. 2020 helped Acuna a little bit on that. I remember, that was a, I remember the 2019 NLDS. That was a huge thing with Acuna, right? He had that ball that hit against the wall and against the Cardinals and only got a single. And they're like, there they go. 2020, there was a little bit less than that. A little bit less than that. I think that helped a little bit. It, but yeah, I don't think there's any question. It's, it's I, I, I know a lot of Braves fans and 
and other than hey, when's Georgia football starting? The frustration that they have with uh, with Acuna has mostly abated the last couple of years. But uh, I don't think anyone thinks they're better uh, they're better off with an Acuna. But certainly, if they make the playoffs this year, th- let's not forget how close they were to making the World Series last year. Like they were so they were three one. I know. So, so I think it gets forgotten because the, it feels like the Dodgers just just kind of coasted but like they were they were they were this close to making it this year for them to be able to make it i think also you talked about joey vado earlier i think you start if they make the playoffs this year and if if freeman gets in the top three of mvp voting i think he's starting to make a case for himself he's certainly making a good free agent case for himself his is going to be the most fascinating free agent case of this offseason because he might be the best guy out there and the braves have generally not been the team that's gone to the the top of the free agent market and so i mean the match of just he's like such a brave and like been there drafted by him and he's such a part of their identity it's hard to imagine him leaving but it's typically not the kind of player the braves have have locked up in uh in free agency uh let's move on to the seattle mariners the mariners at this point per fan graphs have um a 3.4 percent chance of making the playoffs they barely kind of qualify for this conversation They've been similar a team where like they've been had a negative run differential all year. They still are somehow nine games over five hundred. But I think most people have realized uh, this isn't really for real. And now that the Yankees have surged, it feels like the their chances of even making the wild card are 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 slim to none. What do you make of the Mariners this season? I think it's actually being a little bit kind uh, to their fans by not <laughs> making a uh, – uh, I think uh, maybe a five-game losing streak would do the Mariners fans a lot of good, <laughs> which is the sickest. Oh, there have been so many times they've come ju- just short during this run, and I kind of feel like – I, I I know that like it's not necessarily all like the young guys like they're they've been driven this run, but clearly the Mariners are positioned very well over the next two or three years. I think that all this season is is a some good feeling, it's some good momentum, which counts and matters. That makes a difference. I think it's almost proof of concept. Uh, I know it's kind of a chaotic organization sometimes, but I think there's a certain proof of concept for what they've got moving forward. I, it's better. I'll put it this way, like. If you're feeling excited about the Mariners, th- this season might necessarily – like the players currently on this roster might, performing well might not necessarily be the reason why you feel better in the future. But it's good – like winning begets winning, and I think there's value in that. Yeah, I mean that's fair. My, my concern with this team is kind of what you alluded to, which is just that like they're having a quote-unquote good season, but it's not the young guys who are powering it, right? It's like Ty France and – Mitch Hanniger and Kyle Seeger and, you know, Chris Flexen on the pitching side. So it's like these are not really the guys that are going to drive that the, the surge that they're kind of banking on. You know, Jared Kelnick was supposed to be the guy this year. He was going to be the first part of the next wave. And he's shown some signs. I mean, his, his first month was kind of a disaster. He got sent back down. He's shown some signs recently, but it's hard to look at him and be like, oh, my God, like he's here. Like this is a cornerstone. I'm not saying he won't be, but he hasn't shown that thus far. So if I'm a Mariners fan – I think I'd be a lot more excited about this resurgence if this was being powered by the next generation, but it's not. You know, another example is like Kyle Lewis, who's been hurt, who was good last year, but has been hurt most of the year. So it's just like I don't really know what what to make of of uh, the roster. Uh, one more team to go, and it's a team that is near and dear to your heart, the St. Louis Cardinals. Why do you have the Cardinals last in your urgency rankings? Well. 
Well, I mean, nothing against uh, the trade for Jay Happ and, and John Lester. I'm going to defend that trade, actually. I know that's been like the big mocked uh, bedline trade. But, like, if they weren't starting those guys, they'd be starting Johan Oviedo and Jake Woodford, which is to say guys that have been getting drilled for two months. The, the problem with the Cardinals trade, the deadline for Happ and Lester, is that they didn't do it in June. Because June was the month that really they, they just they lost all of the stars and everything kind of fell apart. Listen, the Cardinals have been – they made this little run. Uh, and I remind you, by the way, yes, they are four games behind the Padres uh, in the wild card. But as you always like to remind us, Matt, they are only two behind in the loser, in, in the in, uh, in loss on the loss side. Now, to be fair, we are stretching the limits of that because they're also like seven games behind on the win side. But nevertheless, uh, uh, they are – they've made this little run, but they've done it by beating – by pouncing on the Pirates and pouncing on the Royals. Like that's literally, that's all what they've done for two weeks now is to make that run. We, I think we've kind of seen in these first two games with the Brewers that when the put the Cardinals against a, a good team, all their flaws kind of come out. They they say they they have the they they have good relievers in Reyes, Gallegos, and Cabrera, but they've been overused all year and they're starting to crack. And I think you're starting you're starting to see that kind of come up again. And uh, you know the Cardinals are still technically in the playoff race. And I think, but I think once once you get into September, that's when they play. The Dodgers. That's when they play. The, they have all. They have so many more games against the Brewers. They have a lot of games against the Reds. They have a four-game stretch at home against San Diego in September, which should be maybe will be kind of interesting. The pitching. The reason they've got back together has really been this. The rotation has settled, including Hap, who's been really good so far. Even Lester has been passable for them. But uh, it, to me, there's just the. It's the same thing. It's really been all year that when the rotation isn't isn't carrying everything, the the, the lineup isn't enough to to get. There was a saying on baseball Twitter a few years ago that I haven't really seen much anymore, but it's still no. like a thing, you know, Cardinals devil magic, that the Cardinals kind of always figure out a way to, to to win, to make the playoffs, to win the series, whatever, that they constantly are kind of overachieving. And I kind of just kind of get those vibes from this team um, as an outsider. This is like from an outsider perspective, just the way a lot of times outsiders just sort of like, I sort of say like, you know what, the Yankees are just going to, they'll figure it out and they'll get there and they do. That's sort of how I feel about the the Cardinals. So well, I wouldn't, you know, necessarily bet on them making the playoffs. I will not at all. I will not be at all surprised. <laughs> so, basically, so basically, you're saying they're not good, but they've not been good in the past, and somehow pulled it off. So maybe they'll do it again. Well, I think there's. I mean, there's some. I mean, similar to what I said about Chris Sale about the injured yeah. guy coming back. I think it kind of applies to Flaherty. Like it changes the complexion of that team in a meaningful way. Mike and I talked recently about on this on this podcast about how their outfield actually has kind mm-hmm. of come around and and looks like pretty good, especially with Bader healthy. You still have Arenado who's actually having a pretty good year in Goldschmidt. So when you look at the roster now with Flaherty back, it's like, okay, like this is a this is a pretty good team. You know, Wainwright's season has been incredible. One of the one of the coolest things that's happened. Um second most innings pitched in baseball, by the way. It's it's incredible. So Adam Wainwright has the second most pitch behind Wheeler. He's the only guy ahead of him. It's amazing. I may be dating myself uh, with this, but it, it reminds me – Adam Wainwright in 2021 reminds me of Jimmy Connors at the 1991 <laughs> U.S. Open. Some similar vibes there. Um, for, for you kids out there, maybe you should should Google Google that one. He's I think Wainwright is nicer to, the, 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 nicer to the umps than Jimmy Connors was. But in terms of the, the vibes <laughs> around the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the performance uh, against all odds, it's, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool to see. Well, anyway, Will, um, thank you for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Appreciate you stepping in for for, uh, Mike Petriello. Uh, That will do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, 
leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Fall Park Mentioned Podcast. See you next week.